episode number 89, stand-up comedian John Stringer is in the Springs. The least funny I've ever been is right now. What do you call that? Like, what is that superhuman power? When do they laugh during this job? <laughs> Party stories. I, I'm, I'm, I'm humble. It's hot and it's not. It's hot and it's not. He's all right. All right. Mr. John Stringer. Mr. Ryan Lowry. You are in the springs, my friend. A national treasure. There you go. I'm in, I am up in the co-springs. I get that a lot. So, <laughs> All right, John. So uh, tell me a little bit about your uh, comedy background. I understand this is not your first time through here at Looney's. Uh, it's my second time. Last time I came through was a feature for Russ Rivas. And oh, he's, nice. he's like a crowd favorite out here. Wonderful guy. He's been in the biz. What? Over 30 years. He's a pretty long career. Right, right. Owned a club down in Albuquerque for a long time. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, and Albuquerque needs a club. Albuquerque, <laughs> Albuquerque Midland, Odessa area, Lubbock, Texas, yeah, Amarillo. Albu- These are like places that would really support comedy. I, I know totally it. agree. In Albuquerque, that club was fantastic. Yeah. I and mean, that was a great club down oh, there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was a heartbreaker to see that one go away. I did I did a show out there in um, uh, Santa Ana Pueblo, the Santa Ana Star Casino. That is an amazing room. I'm not kidding. There were about 100 people. And you know, it's, it's just always something that comedians, uh, it's a, maybe just a measuring stick of some sort. But when you're up there performing, and I saw three comedians go up before me with um, kind of a mixed reaction from the audience. They, weren't, they were smilers. They weren't laughers. That's what it is. They, they'd go, hmm. And then <laughs> what's, what else you got? Like right. That was the kind of mood I was getting from them. And so it was really important to me. I was like, there's 100 people here. They made the effort. I know they want to laugh. And so I went out and spent an hour with them, and they were just eruptive, la- like applause breaks, laugh breaks, blah, blah, blah. And the big, uh, the big payoff was looking just beyond the seating. I could see every cook, waitress, bartender, hotel uh, or casino security lining the walls like every one oh, of the, the employees came out of the out of the bowels of this <laughs> casino i swear to it because like we went from 100 to 150 and 50 of them were employees and i was just like ah, this feels good that oh, feels really good awesome. yeah yeah but uh no but the background yeah i was here uh, about a year ago with russ revis uh, I've, all, I've been doing comedy a little bit over four years. I started, I did my first open mic on my 30th birthday. Now, it wasn't my first time with comedy. I've been a goofball my entire life, but it was my first time doing stand-up. And until then, in high school and college, my interest was sketch comedy. Okay. Which was, again, uh, spotty success and had some viral videos back in the day. But depending on other artists to help you realize your sketch comedy vision right right and getting everyone's schedule together and getting them to follow through with their word and do what they say they're going to do never happens never happens so stand-up was a way for me to not need a camera lights sound equipment other people i just show up no rehearsal needed tell some jokes and leave it's like a band with no equipment like it's the best it's the greatest just grab the acoustic effectively yeah i've discussed it but effectively i'm being paid not to grow up which is every man's dream (laughs) not like we grow up but i'm paid not to the minute i mature i lose half of my my gigs i know yeah 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 Now, this sounds like a backhanded comment but relative to your peers 30 is a little bit very later so, and it, the least funny I've ever been is right now, which uh, it, it, I'm funny, but like if I think back to like junior high when I was completely uninhibited and then high school and 
all the things that I would do from gags to little whatnot. I, I was always known for that. I needed attention. I, we're, we're artists all seeking approval. So it's funny, and this is... I, I comment on this a lot. At the core, there's something wrong with us. You do stand up? Yeah, I do. At the core, there is something very wrong with us that we select to throw ourselves in front of rooms full of strangers and we are seeking their approval for a career. That is, that's putting more vulnerability out on the line than most people are comfortable with. Well, do you think there's a kind of the flip side to that coin where you're on stage to make people laugh? Yeah. Where it's not necessarily your own insecurities, but... I'm, I'm boiling it down to the basics, but yeah, no, I, I do. All, all I'm here to do is to make people laugh. Like, yeah. I, I, I love it. The reaction, uh, what, the reaction I get and the energy that I get in return is on... I mean, that's got to be illegal in some way. When you have a good show... Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and I've not, I've not done any hard drugs. I haven't. But I have to imagine Today it takes me like or? no no I haven't to this to <laughs> oh, this God, day God. to this day in my life I've not done any hard drugs uh, I don't even drink alcohol and and the uh, the the feeling you get after a good show and it takes you like four or five hours to wind down like it really does take that long right, to just right. like whoa that was great whoa like you just walk around <laughs> flex doing pushups just. So I have to imagine that's what it's like to do a hard drug and then you just can't wind down like, what's going on? Yeah, so, right, right. yeah, yeah. Comedy has that effect on me. No, sure. I would imagine with your sketch comedy background, there's yeah. a lot of writing in that world. There's are, some parallel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you there, still a heavy writer with your stand-up or is it more of, hey, this is a funny got, idea, I'm going to let it fly? As a stand-up, you want to be ready if someone ever approaches you and they say, I like you. You're in the right place, the right time, and I want to know what other ideas you have. I've got just binder upon binder full of sketch comedy ideas and little bits and uh, documentaries and uh, TV series. I've just got all these little thoughts so that if I'm ever given them like, oh, let's hit the ground running because I got these things boiled out. Right. So sketch comedy is still very much my passion. When I saw Kids in the Hall or In Living Color, Saturday Night Live, I thought that is it. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. That's what you were made to do. It's I couldn't imagine that that was actually a job. That right, didn't right. make sense to me. We need to see someone like that. And I uh, fell in love with Jim Carrey. That, to me, he's the ultimate. Not, and no one would ever accuse him of being the best stand-up. But for me, I would only because if you saw him for five minutes or 30 minutes, you felt like you got every ounce of his energy and enthusiasm for that amount of time. And if you saw 100 comedians after him, you would only remember... That James Carey guy was really fun before he was Jim right, Carey right. and had those stupid and living color like shoulder pad right, jackets on. Absolutely. But I mean, his, uh, and, and Robin Williams had it and Cat uh, Williams has it. Just this ability to truly captivate when you have 3,000 to 30,000 people in a room and you can hear a pin drop. What do you call that? Like, yeah. what is that superhuman power? Yeah. So I, I try to, I, I try to give that same amount of energy to an audience, that same amount of care to the, to the craft. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a comics comic by any means. Too many people write for the back of the room, and I certainly, I certainly write for people to have maximum enjoyment. And what I'm doing on stage is entertaining to me. So, because <laughs> people fall out of love with their jokes, so I try to write jokes that are challenging <laughs> to deliver. Um, I talk with uh, John Gonzalez, not heard on podcast, is sitting stage right, and uh, and uh, I I talked to him about it, but I could I could give him my joke book, I could hand you my joke book, which I would say I have about two and a half hours that I cycle through right now. You might find fifteen minutes usable. 
you might find 15 minutes that you're like, oh, that's that's coherent and I can work with that and I can build a joke. But the rest of it is just truly, that's me connecting to it in a way that other people might not have the eyes for. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, in the clips that I saw online, um, you've got a couple of clips out there. There definitely is a sketch comedy feel to it. Yeah. In the sense that if I described a bit or if I wrote down one of your bits, like you said, to read it, you'd be like... I'm, I don't get I don't, it. Yeah, yeah. But for instance, That's the one I, I saw... I can't run jokes past people. Exactly. I run it past my girlfriend, and, and she's just like, that sounds funny. <laughs> like, yeah, but I know she's being nice, and well, then yeah, when she sees it in the audience, it splits up. She's like, oh, I just didn't see it that way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The one I saw with the incline press. Yeah. I'm in my office last night by myself laughing out loud, but if I wrote a description of that, you'd be like, that is not funny. <laughs> There's nothing... That's rude. Yeah, and, and so are you aware of... When do they laugh during this <laughs> Exactly. I mean, are you are you conscious of kind of the physicality as you're writing? Like, this is how I'll I'm act I'm lucky out. to have that naturally uh, in that I've just always trusted my movement. Whatever it is, my impulse has always been on. So be it dancing goofy at a club and I just want to, you know, I want all the cell phones out because I'm going on YouTube. Like, I'll have those nights where I just go lose my mind at a club. And uh, and I'm, I just always trusted myself. Like, be dramatic, be over the top, be be very physical. Like, exasperate people when they watch you do whatever you do. So for me, movement has always been hand in hand. I can't. Uh, and if I described, and you might see now that this is the genre. I was on radio today at ninety eight nine, and and he was like, "Well, how would you describe your style?" I was like, "Party stories." It feels because that's everyone's first exposure to stand up. Is when you tell a really good arrested, breakup, stalker, uh, you know, drunk story. You all, everybody has that epic story that the whole party will shut up and listen, and you hear a pin drop then, and you don't know what to do with that attention. So you adapt and you start to work out the timing of when people laugh at things and analogies you could throw in. And so, story t- telling stories and being the center of attention was something that has just always come to me. Like it's always been something that I did. So then when it came to writing comedy, and I see so much formality and. Um, and I appreciate writers. I'm not. I'm not a natural writer. I can't write you an essay today. I can't. I can't write you anything technical and it be anywhere near the truth. But I can write you a conversation. I could write you a scene in a movie and it would be like fluent conversation with punchline after every single line. Like that's how I operate. Right. So it's party stories with. I don't know, (laughs) with a mix of grown-up boy, like, uh, because that's what, it's coming from the perspective of the last time I remember being myself was 12 years old, and then 13, sex enters the situation. You now notice breasts, you now notice hips, you know, Uh, if you could see a girl's bra, like, that was the most exciting thing in the world. That's, 12 was the last time I was free of, (laughs) of sexual influences, which then determined the way that we dress. And the car that we buy, like truly women motivate 85%. That's something I heard, so I can't back that up. But 85% of purchases made are influenced by females, whether it's them buying or them convincing you. And at 12, you were just free. You were playing in the dirt. You were maybe eating bugs. I don't know about 12. I don't know what you do at 12, but (laughs) (laughs) that's where I feel forever stuck. Uh, if I'm to be, I am, I, I've learned things. I'm clearly, I'm grown up, but right. mature, I'm not, I, right, right. I, I know enough not to throw fits in the middle of like shopping malls and things like that. But, but very few threads hold us to that adult standard. And so I live here and I have a, a wonderful girlfriend who supports that. Like I'm a woman's worst nightmare until you find a woman that can like 
and then deal you hold with it. On yeah, then you hold on. You're like, you, you're okay. Like this is because a woman never, a woman doesn't pick you. Uh, I'm generalizing, but women do a terrible job of picking their mates for who they are. Women are seeing years past what this product. Yeah. yeah, like like they're flipping houses. They're looking at you <laughs> at curb value right now. You need a coat of paint, hardwood floors, and some ceiling fans to make you sellable. Uh, maybe you know, maybe a tie for curb appeal. I don't know. <laughs> and it, but. But men present themselves very honestly, like, hey, this is me, and, and I'm not really looking to change much. And women are like, okay, okay, <laughs> we'll see. But, like, my girlfriend, just totally, she's just like, yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, you have to do that. That's yeah, part yeah. of you. Yeah, you have to post that. Yeah, curse more. Yeah, whatever you need to do. What you're, what, what, whatever you're trying to accomplish. I'm like, thank you very much. Like, nice. Yeah, that's rare. Well, as far as your comedy career, I think relative to your peers, um, you've really kind of hit a fast track to be on the road headlining four years in. Yeah. In my experience, that's almost unheard of. That's a pretty quick turn for you. Do you think that the the sketch background sort of influenced that in terms of your professionalism and stage presence and ability to hold an audience? I'm assuming you're in your mid-30s as well? That's very kind okay. of you, but mid-40s. Oh, well, you're doing great. Um, <laughs> imagine if you hadn't told a joke in front of an audience until you were 30. So I just feel like I've got 30 now, 4, 34 years of stories just stockpiled, and they're going to come out. And my upbringing was funny, and I'm, I'm a mix of white trash and redneck on one side of the family, which I absolutely love, and then some hoity-toity nose-up-to-the-sky types on the other side, and teenage pregnancy from both of my sisters like i've got a really to even exist in my family you had to be loud and obnoxious so uh for for me this was just the natural progression to to sort of find this and so for four years in it is i guess technically quick i think uh open mics are useful like this is not something that's going to fly with everybody i think open mics are a way for the more established comic comics in a scene to develop a first impression that does not dissipate for three or four years and that is what stunts a lot of comics growths are open mics open mics are a great place to get your voice and to get comfortable being in front of a crowd but if you're uncomfortable in front of a crowd then it's just a social pecking order is what it feels like open mics to me hey not to be negative about it right right open mics are you spend too much money you hang with the same groups you hear the same jokes all year until that regional comedy contest that comes up and then you hear those same jokes that those elite comics told all year long and to me there's no progress in that i've been funny my whole life i'm pre-approving myself as hilarious and so everything that i say if i believe in it that does become funny it's a confidence that what's leaving my mouth is already funny you have to believe me and it is and so when i write it right behind closed doors i'll practice in front of a mirror, in front of a camera, whatever, just to see what it's like, how it sounds, what, what I could add to a beat, what I could change there, if there's some stage direction that could be added to it. But it is quite natural, but all my development has been behind closed doors. I come out with purpose. If I do an open mic, it's usually with something prepared, and then they won't see it again until they come see my actual show. Right. I'm not doing the same stuff. I, I don't do open mics. I really... Um, uh, I had someone explain this to me. If you're an artist... Then imagine yourself as a jet plane, climbing steadily and efficiently. And the only way to continue that speed, that climb with that efficiency, is to rid yourself of everything that creates drag. Get rid of everything that could slow down this process of what you have pictured. So for me, I've got a ton of friends in comedy 
but I do realize that even my closest friend or my worst enemy in comedy can neither make or break my career, and that it does come down to personal effort. And where I find a great advantage is that there aren't a lot of artists putting forth the effort, and I am willing to. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's I'm, I'm putting in work where they're not. When I hear things like, I don't know, I, I hate to use sports as the example, but when you hear about someone who was cut from their fret, like Michael Jackson didn't make his freshman basketball team. Michael and Jordan. Then, Michael Jordan. Michael, <laughs> Michael Jackson is my hero. Sorry, he's always on he the tip of the tongue. Yeah. Yeah, but Michael Jordan. Uh, you, you know, I had to turn it around. It didn't hurt that he grew five inches in a year, whatever, whatever. But. But, you know, the greatest of all time. But the work was put in. Yeah. I mean, Jim Carrey w was homeless living out of a car with his family when he first started doing stand-up. All people that worked their butts off. And then so many times, if, uh, if a buddy of mine sees that I'm just taking a couple steps in the right direction, they'll grab, they'll grab you and they're like, hey, can I come? And I'm just like, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's no way that I can help you into this scene. There's... Only you can help you into this scene. I can introduce you to people, but that's not going to mean that you're going to keep that relationship, network the right way, rebook yourself the right way, brand yourself the right way. It's a, it, pe people are funny, and no one tells you how to turn this into a career or right, a business. Right. And, and I hate to see it that way because it's still the best time of my life. But if you're going to do it, try to do it right. You know, Try to do it. I, I see no reason in pacing myself or um, being... I, I'm... I'm, I'm humble but i've heard the argument that you shouldn't be humble about the things that you have and the things that you are you're clearly an intelligent man you shouldn't have to be humble about being intelligent you're like no i i get a lot i know a lot about a, a, a handful of topics i can nerd out about those and i'd say in a few topics in my life i am not calling myself an expert on anything but i'm good and that feeling worthy of the attention that i'm asking for and coming to grips with that, I think, was the biggest fight. Like, I knew I was doing comedy right when I wanted to quit it once a week. When I just, you know what I mean? Right, I, absolutely. I had that fierce uh, honeymoon relationship with it. Yeah. Where it's like, it's hot and it's not, and it's hot and it's not. And I knew I was doing it right because of that reason. Yeah. If you ever just push, you know, cruise control or just push play on your set and you're just up there saying the jokes because you know they work and you can see the audience through your eyes. Being, I work with a lot of comedians that push that just push play. Yeah. And I'm like, not me. Like, not me. We're given the freedom to say and do anything on stage and present it as comedy. How does that get boring? How could that ever get boring? Yeah. So, I don't know. So I've, once you started doing stand-up, at what point did you take that that drive and that determination and apply it towards stand-up? Like, what was it about stand-up in particular where it's like, this is the thing I'm going to focus on? This... Um, and how far along into your career were you when you decided, yeah, this is One year in, I went full-time. Yeah. And it was with a small severance I got from a job that I was leaving. I was, at, I was doing IT recruiting. Okay. And I was sure to end up at a six-figure paying position within a year, truly. And uh, the company wasn't doing so well just on the recruiting side. There were two other gentlemen that were used to making like 100 to 150. There were dads with mortgages and multiple cars and college payments. And I was this kid with a girlfriend and a dog. Like I didn't have any major expenses. So I went to the CEO. I was like, hey, I'm really falling in love with comedy. Uh, these guys could use the money that I'm making because they went from 150 and now we're all making about 65. You know, right, that, right. it just dropped real quick. And he's like, I see that, I respect that, and uh, yeah, I think that would work. And I think they gave me a couple grand, and uh, I did a unemployment for a month, and that was enough to take 
a bunch of losing gigs to say, hey, can I come out and guest spot? Can right. I host? Can Just I... to get your name out there. Because I had won stage. a couple comedy contests within okay. my first year. I was serious about it. In five minutes, I can be the funniest person on the planet. I'm not saying I can follow Louis C.K., but I'm saying for five minutes, I can compete with anybody. Absolutely. So contests are my bread and butter. And again, I'm being such a jerk. Uh, I find that in stand-up, there are a lot of introverted kids who didn't really enjoy their high school, college experience. They were just kind of always closed off. And uh, and, it, and they had this reason to create comedy. I have a completely different reason to create comedy. I'm, I, I really enjoyed all my educational institutions. <laughs> right. I, I enjoyed getting along with all the groups. And, uh, and, so, and, and I played every sport that there was. And so since I no longer as an adult have options to wrestle, play football, or basketball, <laughs> I do contests and festivals and like unleash it against other people because right. I'm like oh you're going to see 20 people today but I'm going to be the only name you remember and I come in with that attitude and, and then I'm around comics that are like oh I just hope I have a good set and I'm like get out of here get out of here with that attitude like so yeah I, I took it I took it serious pretty quick a year in with that little pet with that little amount of money and those two small credits and a couple comics I'd say he's alright I went and did a bunch of free or like very cheap gigs within a tank of gas within right. from my home from Austin. That's and, home for you. Yeah. Okay. And my mentality was always if I if I if you bring me in as a guest spot, I'm coming back as a host. If I come in as a host, I'm coming back as a feature. If I come back as a feature, I'm coming back as a headliner. Yeah. And the only places I'm not headlining are places that need like this, you know. Relative TV or movie credit, which that's just you don't stumble upon those. But on ability, I try to make sure that my act is up there with the best that people will see. I I want to leave an impression. I I'm a I'm a comic card comic. I don't ask for it, but that's the thing that clubs constantly say is, dude, I got like a stack of comic cards here. I never get comic cards. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I want to leave that impression. So it became competitive, and then when again going full time a year in and taking all those losers and being so broke where like I'm swiping into overdraft to fill my tank right. to get to a gig <laughs> to hopefully sell enough shirts so I can put money back in there before I get that overdraft. <laughs> like I've been on wits end sleeping in the car. I still sleep in the car at like rest stops and stuff. I'm just eager to get out there and, uh, and then getting, coming back as a host and then coming back as a feature. So it's just slowly progressed. But, but, um, if, if the clubs like me and often I'll develop a good relationship with them, I'm, I'm on a two to sometimes three times a year rotation. As long yeah. as I'm not oversaturating a market, oh, I'll come back as often as they want. Right. So it's, it's going well, I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like you've got, I mean, obviously I think you've got a really good head on your shoulders in terms of your career, um, the amount of energy and focus you've put into it. So mm. do you have a game plan as far as, Okay, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Once I get to this point, I'm going to move to LA. Once I get to this point, I'm going to get a man. You know that kind I of. I don't. Thing. I don't need that. Like career, 2015 for me was all about solidifying my place on the road as a road comic, which uh, a lot of comics view that as a bad thing. Traveling and meeting people and getting new experiences on a weekly basis is a dream come true. I want to compete in movies and music and, and television. I want all of that. I just wanted to make sure I guarantee I won't stop being funny. So just having 40 to 50 bookers and clubs that use me, work me, and, and like me, they're supporting me on the way up. I assume I can keep those relationships. They'll support me on the way down. It happens to all of us. I wanted to make sure that I could do comedy on the road forever. That was 2015. I did it. This year, the first year that 
financially it's viable i'm comfortable i've got you know, i'll have 40 plus years of, of headlining weeks this year which is like that's so good i get right. you know it's right, like right, right. like what a cool breakthrough this is, there's there's light at the end of this tunnel and i'm not living gig to gig and it and and by no means comfortable by any means the but at least on that goal. trajectory is still going in the right direction. So 2016, the goal is um, my girlfriend and I are going to convert a bus into a home, a school bus. And because uh, I'm, I'm real big into minimalism, you buy the stuff, you pay to keep it, pay to clean it, pay to store it, pay to move it. Like you, it just owns you. So I, I don't want anything. I want to be able to just, oh, if I want to live in Colorado, I live there for a month. If I want to live in California, I live there for a month. I just move my house. And I got my dogs and my girl. I don't need anything else. Truly, it uh, very fulfilling. And uh, and then to be in LA before 2017. So I do have to go bump heads with those guys. Yeah. I, I know that's where the line. Even if I go to New York or Chicago, all lines will eventually still lead to LA, no matter where you start out. Yeah. So I'm just gonna go straight there. I have a lot of great friends out there. Good supporting cast and. And I'll just try to let ability and and uh, on the side the professionalism speak for itself. That I just really want to do this and I want to do it well and I want to please everybody that I work with and I'll try to keep this this attitude going forward. I I hear L.A. can steal a part of who you are. Right. I, I'll try not to let it. Again, I'm not doing open mics. I'll go places to keep up appearances, but I don't. Yeah. I don't care to do that that well, part of it. Well, this is kind of a loaded question, and, and but mm. I, but as you're sitting right here right now, what would be sort of the dream? Sketch gig? a sketch comedy show. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about actual single gig? No, no, no. More more to what you just said. So, uh, end game. I want to own a dog rescue. Uh, I, which in my, I'm so addicted to dogs. I'm so, I love training them, grooming them, cleaning them, feeding them, all of it. I feel connected to, especially when you can be the pack leader of like 50 or 60 dogs. Like, so I think a dog rescue is a way for the state to fund my addiction to canines. <laughs> and then I can also use comedy as a way to place said animals, which right. would be real cool on my oh website. My gosh, yeah. Yeah. And so that would be cool. I'd have a home base. I'd have like a little cabin and 60 dogs to go home to. And that would feel good. And then uh, I'd like to get to a point where I'm working. Uh, maybe I do like a big... Uh, three maybe four historical theaters a month like i don't even want to do arenas i'd like to do the 500 600 seat max but like 200 to 600 seat theaters the light i'm a theater kid like yeah, yeah. and you know when the stage is set up for a performance and and people say dress for the job you want i definitely write for the stage i want so in a coffee shop for eight people my act might seem a bit overblown <laughs> but for eight thousand people in an arena when i'm let loose it's like oh i see why you wrote that way i see yeah. why you did that i see why you're panting and sweating by the middle of your set <laughs> it, weird but interesting uh so i'd like to get to a point where I have a sketch comedy show on television that I get to ride and act in and bring a lot of friends on. Uh, something I think along the line of Kids in the Hall, where all the editing, shooting, video, all of it is done all in kind of self contained. Yeah. yeah, I just want to pick six, like, just go to Mavericks, you know what I mean? And I can bring guests in all the time, but I want to bring people that really, like, I can do a little editing, I do shooting, I can set up light, I can build props. I. I want someone that brings this stuff and, and I'd love to have a show on and then I'd love to just tour and hit these hit these theaters. That would nice, just be man. the greatest. Oh, yeah. that sounds ideal. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I think the music started. You're going on stage here in about 45 minutes or so, so I'm going to cut you loose. Okay. Um, but just one last question. You, you've got um, 
I think kind of an old soul. I mean, despite, you know, t- talking grew about up fast. It, well, and, and, you know, being, you know, this isn't the right word, but, you know, to, to your point, like being immature, still feeling like you're 12, that's one thing. Yeah. But then also to be sort of wise and, and kind of have an old soul is the other thing. So having said all of that, having four years of comedy experience and the amount of success that you've had thus far, what are you most proud of? Specifically for your comedy career, not necessarily family or relationships or anything like that. Specifically for comedy, exactly. Um, oh man, I'm I am I am really proud when I hear from the booker, the employees of a club. You know what I mean? Like where my product is now. When I hear from people who've seen it, who tune it out, who no longer are moved by what's going on on the stage behind them while they drop tickets and pick up tabs. And uh, when they stop me and when they stop what they're doing to watch me and afterwards say, that's, that's, we've had X amount of big names here. That's my favorite show that I've seen here. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm here to do is to like set that. And so when, when I, when I hear from a booker, like, yeah, you have no namesake, but I had one one uh, one club owner say you're you're the find of the year. Like I don't, I booked you just on a word from another manager, and I had no idea you from anyone else. Like even Eric took a chance on me, just bringing me in as a feature on the word of another comic, and I came in as a feature and made an impression. And he's like, oh no, after the very first show, and I think it only had eighteen people. He's like, no, you're coming back to headline. I I didn't even have to go in there. I just heard every five minutes. Or every five seconds, pow, pow, pow. He's like that cadence. Yeah, if you can keep that up, yeah, you're headlining. Nice. Yeah. So I mean, uh, to me, hearing from people who've seen it, done it, that they think that I have something special, that what I'm doing is worthwhile, or that it's a show that they've really enjoyed. Hearing it from the people that have seen everything, that feels good. That means I'm at least on the right path, or have. Uh, a feeling for this, a feeling for the timing of it and all that. So some of it's natural, some of it is is uh, is hard work, and, and so when it's recognized, that I could feel some sense of that. But you know, as a man, we never we never take time out to be proud of our... <laughs> the only thing I've done in my life that I feel like you graduate high school, you graduate college, you, you, you hold several titles at jobs and so on and so forth. The only thing I've ever felt accomplished about, I, I rode a bicycle from Austin to Anchorage, Alaska. Oh my God. It was a group from University of Texas called the Texas 4000 for Cancer. And about 43 students, we rode from Austin to Anchorage. It was 70 days. We rode average of like 70 to 80 miles a day. That felt like an accomplishment. It was all. It was forty-seven hundred miles to get to our end destination. Rode through snow, rode through sleet and rain, and and anything. And that to me, I was like, oh yeah, that's an accomplishment. Like that's, that's to me insane. that you can grasp that. Right, yeah, right. that's almost the science brain in me. Like I can measure what I did. Yeah, that's an accomplishment. But degrees and that people get those people have money people have stuff none right. of that has ever been a goal or a point of pride for me but yeah so yeah yeah just being recognized by people who've seen it done it heard it all it feels pretty good when they say that's really good i like your act a lot i'm like yeah. oh very cool well, yeah john stringer it was a pleasure my friend nice meeting you man um, it, all the best and uh, enjoy your weekend here at loonies thank you absolutely well you're gonna stay for this one i or? might stick around all right be pretty fun I, I know it's a small crowd but we'll still light it up nice, nice. all right man well thank you for having me on. oh man my pleasure thanks right, bye bye right so there you have it stand-up comedian john stringer a big thanks to john for taking time out before his set to be on the show 
As you can tell, John has a tremendous amount of positive energy, which carries over nicely on stage. I did stick around to watch the show, and he started off with a two-minute balls-out dance routine to Michael Jackson's Beat It. Highly entertaining and well worth seeing live when he hits a stage near you. John was nice enough to give me one of his t-shirts, which can be yours if you email me with the subject line, John Stringer. Hit me up at metajunk at yahoo.com. That's M-E-T-A-J-U-N-K at yahoo.com. First come, first served. Thank you to Eric and the great folks at Looney's Comedy Corner for their continued support. And as always, thank you for listening to In the Springs. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a second to post a positive review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast media. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs. Springs.